This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dowdy. Our guest this week is Ted McKinney, CEO of NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NASDA CEO Ted McKinney, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net, providing individualized protection on more than 490 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The members of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture have set their policy priorities for 2023. NASDA CEO Ted McKinney says a new farm bill, workforce development, and food safety are high on their list. International trade is a high priority, and Ted McKinney says education is a critical element of opening markets. We want to make sure we are continuing to remind people of the incredible value uh, and the importance of food and ag trade globally. Yes, we can think selfishly and say it's ever so important to every farmer that provides and, and provides a surplus and has to sell it and therefore make their living. It's, 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 it's down to that granular a level. But even more so, it, it gets at this whole issue of are, are we the world? Are we who produce the protein for the world? Are we doing our job? And are we making sure we're getting product where it needs to go, particularly, particularly with a backdrop of post-COVID emergence and Russia uh, war on Ukraine? Mexico's not the only market where herbicide-tolerant crops are an issue. What can we do to hope to resolve this measure? That's a good question. Uh, I think things have been done so that we've uh, at least managed as best we can that. Uh, I think nothing better than showing the results of biotechnology crops, the so-called GMOs, to do it. The best example I have used is um, the difference between corn in South Africa in the last couple of years and corn in nearby countries of southern Africa. They allow biotech crops and they plant biotech crops in Africa. Um, fall armyworm it came into that part of uh, Africa. In fact, it's ravaging a lot of Africa. And if you saw, as many farmers have now, the stark difference between the stand and the productivity and the quality of the biotech corn from that which is not biotech, uh, it'll make your head curl, make your hair curl. Just amazing. So nothing like results to show that. Uh, so I think things like that, plus ever vigilant visits to remind them of just how much science goes into validating the use of both the biotech, a trait itself, and the chemistry that might marry up to that. And I think there's been a lot more of that done, uh, even though products like glyphosate have been around as long as they have. So I think there's been a lot of work. In the future, I'm hoping 
and we're working hard to communicate all the facts about gene editing. Because if the concern, as they say it has been, is the insertion of foreign DNA uh, into, I'll pick the crop corn, even though it's normally from another corn, uh, if that's the bother, well, gene editing does not involve that. Gene editing involves just switching a gene on or off in a different measure. And I think the promise that gene editing offers to farmers for crops, farmers for their livestock, and even for human health, is just it is just simply unbelievable in the benefits that have already been seen and might be. I'll cite as an example, you know, up at uh, University of Wisconsin or nearby, they have uh, uh, a gene-edited pig that is resistant to the PERS virus that wiped out a good portion of the U.S. pork supply. Well, what more evidence do you need than that? Let's look at African swine fever that has ravaged so many countries. China, more than half of their pork population gone because of African swine fever. Same with Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia, and now, uh, you know, close by in uh, the Dominican Republic. Well, goodness, if we can find either a vaccine or, better yet, a gene-edited pig that can then be part of the crossed mechanism... Um, nothing like results to show the value of that. And, oh, by the way, even better for the environment in many cases. So this is always an educational system. A lot of it can involve politics. But that's why, that's why we needed uh, uh, Alexis Taylor on day one of the Biden administration. It's why we needed Doug McCaleb. Uh, but so be it. At least we got them in year three and year four, and uh, we just have to get them on a plane and keep them out there uh, informing and educating. At least that's my view. And we're doing our part at NASDA, too, hence the rise in our international outreach. Significant, I might add. Ted, EPA has a new WOTUS definition, and significant nexus is back. Uh, Congressman Frank Lucas on the show a couple of weeks ago said it was as if the rig, uh, EPA was regulating raindrops from the heaven to the ocean and everything in between. Where does NASDA stand on this new definition and even with some of the legal challenges that are already being offered to it? Sure. Well, let me go back to the formal comments that we wrote and sent to EPA. And with that, some of the commentary we've offered uh, our members almost, if not universally, are very uh, upset and disappointed with this latest round, this latest flip, if the previous one was a flop. Just amazing. Um, ironically, uh, Jeff, it, it was mostly our Democratic members that were the most visceral and most pointed about this, sending back a draft press release saying, twice make it stronger what's going on here is ridiculous and it should not be uh, some would even go so far as to say this was just simply people uh, looking at what mr trump's administration did and deciding the best thing is to do the exact opposite and in this case uh, uh it is it is a fallacy it is incorrect and they're adding to the great complexity that so many of us have argued against so we're pretty stridently opposed to this language because it does very little, if nothing. We think it adds to the difficulty of understanding by a farmer 
what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. It's going to fall to lawyers, and we don't need to add more lawyers and more regulation or interpretation thereof uh, to this. So it's a bad mistake what they've done. They should have left the one in place as it was two years ago. It was a thorough process, and uh, it's an overreach of the first magnitude uh, into state regulations and states' rights, and that's where we raised our points there's many a case law from the Supreme Court that gives the states plenty of authority over waters that are in their states. Full recognition that if it's navigable, it's a federal water. No problem there. But this is an overreach of epic proportion and needs to be um, uh, needs to be fixed because it's not there. Our best hope now is the Supreme Court and its decisions. Ted, what do you see are the prospects for getting a farm bill done on time in 2023? Well, I'll parse that. If you were to ask me, will it get done, uh, I'm very optimistic. We will get a farm bill. We will. Now, the other part of your question was when and who knows. You know, I could make this case both ways. Uh, you know, on the optimistic side, and I'm a half-full kind of guy, as you know, I would say we're starting with a very good 2018 farm bill. The base is very good and I think lets us have a good starting point. The uncertainties, though, are things like was passed in the uh, inflation or the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and all of the monies that have now been dedicated to climate change and soil conservation, all those things. It brings in a lot of questions about, well, what stays in the farm bill, what doesn't? Do we uh, revisit what a farm bill is all about? And so that's a complication. I think uh, the addition of some new members, uh, some which have said their intent is to be disruptive, uh, adds a big question mark. Uh, but I remain of the view that this, some people call it a holy alliance, some call it an unholy alliance, is an alliance nonetheless and will work. It's just a matter of working through it. I think everybody hopes that the levels will not go down. We know there's a lot of budget pressures. I myself am a fiscal conservative. But um, it, it hardly seems fair that we're just jacking uh, spending up in so many other areas and that we're going to take all of those cuts out of the farm bill. So we'll have to wrestle through whether there are any cuts, and if so, what those look like. And I would say we had a pretty good farm bill, and, the, and to, 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 to go that far with this one is, is, is not quite right. So I do think we're going to get one. I don't know if it's going to be by the designated date or not, but I'm glad to know that uh, Senator Stabenow, in her role as chair of Senate Ag, and uh, Mr. G.T. Thompson, who leads the House Ag Committee, both are seemingly very committed to having it done in time. So I'll go with their wishes and do the best I can to help support that. Ted, this is a loaded question, and I realize it, but I think it's important as we start to talk about policy for agriculture and nutrition. Is the mission of the Farm Bill to protect food security or a number of farmers? <laughs> oh, that is a loaded question. Well, Jeff, let me just answer it. Tradition has said that they can and do belong together. Uh, now, different times in recent history, there have been attempts to separate that. We do not believe that is the way to go. We believe there is something gained by bringing those together and keeping them together. 
And I say that even though 75% of the Farm Bill is, uh, is nutrition or SNAP, women, infants, and children, school-type feeding programs, uh, we believe much more is to be gained by having them come together and stay together than to have them separate. So I'll answer the question by saying uh, policy that we support says it is for both parties. It is not one or the other, but it is for both. Well, inside farm policy, then, there is the thought that a small number of farmers produce the majority of food fiber in the country. But yet there is a disparity between the income outlook for the largest farms in the country, for the small and the medium. And Secretary Vilsack said last week he sees a priority in this new policy to try to preserve and provide a way for small and medium farmers to also have a positive outlook. And I, uh, I, I, I want to get into the depth of what he meant. He shared that with our members, and that is a difficult thing to argue against, and I do not argue against it. I want to see a great deal more of what that means, because I still believe that uh, there's something to say about rewarding those who dedicate their life and enormous investments and enormous risk to produce a bounty that benefits the world. We should not be necessarily criticizing that, but complimenting that. Now, I can say that and also say that I have been a very proud supporter of starting up new farmers. In fact, in uh, Indiana, in my former role as state director, was very proud to lift up different organic farmers. That was the route they were choosing, and I was happy to help them, and we did that in, in, in in a few different ways. So I think it is fair to ask that question, but if the conclusion, and I don't think you were getting at this, but if this conclusion is, let's take away from the big and give to the small, I'd say time out. Uh, An acre is an acre is an acre, or a pig is a pig is a pig, and if people still have access and it's not size dependent, and it is not, then where's, where's the issue here? It's a little like some of the debates on school funding. Uh, do you believe in letting the money follow the child, or does the money have to go to a certain program, a certain size of school? Uh, I think uh, we're seeing a lot of value in, uh, in, in, in letting it follow. So I think as long as we're being fair on that per acre or per head basis, thinking of crops and livestock, then I think we might be okay. But beyond that, I'm anxious to see more details because I do have high regard for Secretary Vilsack, and I want to learn more about what he's thinking because all we heard was the concept and ultimately the devils in the details or the opportunities in the details. It could go either way, quite frankly. Coming up in February, uh, you'll bring uh, the members of NASDA together, and I would assume policy is on the forefront. So what are the, what are the wrinkles that you need to work out as you look for uh, direction in 23 and beyond? Sure. Well, there are many things here. Um, I'll start with the Farm Bill. Um, It is one of eight major areas that we're focusing on. And so uh, within Farm Bill, you'll not find NASDA first in line and being the loudest on farm programs. That's not because we don't care about them. We care very much about them. I mean, In my home state of Indiana, you better care about soy and corn, pork, poultry, and some other things. 
But it's not first on our list because that's covered so much better by the commodity groups. So we're more into looking at other things. One of them is ag research. We are following behind, that's following, and in some cases following behind too many countries. More and more and more countries each year are finding themselves ahead of us in ag research. And I mean everything from new cutting-edge innovation to um, replacing outdated uh, labs and equipment, uh, supporting extension and things that go with that. So ag research can be broad. We are focusing a lot on animal disease. We have been right in the middle of it on a high-pass avian influenza for all the poultry issues. We know the damage that can cause, and so we're looking at uh, sustaining some support to address that. And we're going to be diving in pretty soon, announcement forthcoming, about uh, some work with our friends in industry, APHIS and the veterinarians in the area of African swine fever. We, too, have our share of conservation and climate resiliency, and uh, some of that is water quality, quit messing with a farmer's mind and his pocketbook and let the farmer determine uh, easily what is and is not a waters of the U.S. It might be a good example. Strong supporters of the conservation easement program, EQIP, etc. I would say one that separates us from others, uh, two more maybe, is food safety. Many people do not know that NASDA is right in the middle uh, uh, of all the FISMA work in that we help take all the laws and regs as passed by the FDA, help help them with training materials, and then do a lot of the training that then is handed off to state departments of ag for enforcement, compliance, farm inspections, and the like. And um, I I think the way we're doing it is exactly how it should be, which is education first, uh, 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 regulation second, and keep reinforcing that. So food safety is on the rise, and we think there's something there. Another one would be uh, local food systems. Gosh, a lot of state departments of ag lead and manage the farm-to-school, farm-to-food bank, farm-to-whatever-you-might-want-to-fill-the-blank-in-with, and we're seeing great value of that, particularly when you get into fresh foods, and finally, I cannot leave trade promotion. I've spent too many years on that. We are, as you discussed earlier, trying to lift up and help in the trade promotion area, not to negotiate uh, trade agreements, but to help people understand the value of that and to break down barriers and do things that we at the states can do. I'll give you a best example. When you look at our states, any one of them, can make most countries of the world, at least their ag and food gross domestic product, look tiny. We want NASDA and the states to have a improved, a more meaningful, a more impactive voice, not just in the U.S., but globally. Now, I'll remind you, I stopped short of saying, does that mean uh, we would lead that? No, 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 no. Our federal agencies lead negotiation and guide that, and they should. But we think there's a lot we can bring in the examples, the far on-farm experience that will help us out. So I'd say trade promotion is absolutely in that mix as well. Ted, workforce development and labor are listed as priorities for NASDA. What hope do you see in the 118th in this area? Most of our members, in some way, shape, or form, are focusing on workforce development. We increased our emphasis 
uh, last year in part because our president, Commissioner Richard Ball, just a fine, fine fellow from uh, New York, was the president. And that was very important to him. And the same goes for so many others. That's been sustained by the current president, Doug Miyamoto of Wyoming. We think the current legislation should pass. We think it's narrow enough, uh, has the right flexibility that can be something that really works well for food and agriculture or our farms. Uh, flexibility in the sense that you don't have to just go to one farm, you can go to another one, uh, go to that one, and then when that season is done, you move on to do something else. So we're going to continue to press hard on that. We have been. We worked hard on that for the omnibus in December, and we're not giving up hope. Uh, I would say that uh, it is probably another one of those very unique things that we can work on. The voice of everybody is most important. Farmers, because they're the ones that hire, not all, but a lot of these uh, guest workers. But departments of ag, because we see across the board, not crop by crop, some which may be affected negatively, some which may not be, we see across the board where it's needed for livestock, for poultry, for produce, for other crops, and uh, we're going to keep after it, and it's a good one that we've got to make sure is included. Ted, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. It's certainly a busy time for you uh, and the leaders of our departments of agriculture nationwide. Um, thanks for taking time to be with us. This is Open Mic. You've been here before, and you've got the last word today, sir. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Well, you've covered a lot of it, and I'll just say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. Uh, I'm hopeful that people out there that might be listening in or reading a transcript, if that's their way, uh, are engaged. It might be with their commodity group or their farm bureau. They, they can feel free to call me, those that know. Uh, we all need to be active because this is, as all farm builders are, are, is a pivotal year, and particularly in the wake of COVID and the wake of some massive, massive expenditures of, uh, of funds. And so uh, we hope people's voices heard. I'll leave on one point that um, we are spending additional time with our friends in Europe on what I think could be the most clear and present danger, which is their EU Green Deal. Now, let me just start by saying I believe that the EU Green Deal objectives are outstanding, well-written. It's something that any of us in, on the farm or in food processing or even in ag government would, uh, would want. But it's the tactics of, uh, of removing so many tools from a, t a farmer's toolbox and not just in the EU. Their way of getting uh, compliance with the EU farmer is to say, don't worry, we'll impose these same draconian rules and regulations, though unfounded by science, onto the farmers of Canada, of the U.S., of Brazil, and of Argentina. And it is going to lead to very, very bad things, as we've seen through an economic research service study. So... We hope they'll come around and understand the error and the misguided nature of that, but it's something else that we're working on in that international arena that we talked about. Our thanks to NASDA CEO Ted McKinney, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.